Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 279 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Heads of Podcast Network. It's Dave Hanready here. Craig Fitzpatrick is not here. He's on a much-needed, well-deserved week off. He's convalescing, as far as I'm aware. He hasn't responded to my texts, because, you know, that, that's kind of a normal week with him, though, you know. He's just that kind of guy. Whereas this week, though, I've brought in one of the big guns. She is one of the most beloved mainstays of the Irish music scene. She is a pillow queen extraordinaire. She's a friend of the show. Din, 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 din. Sarah Corcoran. There you go. Hello, Football terrorist theme. I would never not respond to a text, may I just say. I'll just, just start with that. I would always reply to your text. I don't know what Craig is doing. He's going to be kicked off this show. Craig out, Sarah in. That's my vote. He's got a bad attitude, but you know, it's okay. I mean, it keeps me on my toes. You're very good with the old respond to the text messages. I do appreciate that. It's a nice kind of reflection of our friendship. Maybe. And I believe the first time we ever met Sarah in, in person was at the Choice Music Prize a few years ago. I was having a conversation with, I think, Royal Yellow, and there was this incredible vision in the, the most amazing suit I've ever seen in my entire life. And she just, from across the room, and you came over and you, you, you gushed about how much you love the podcast. And I went, I agree with you. It is a good show. And now, finally, you're here to co-host. I'm just so happy. I hope you're happy as well. finally come and I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I just recognised your voice at the Choice Prize Awards. I was like, I know that voice from my headphones on the bus in the morning, so I better go and make myself known. And uh, yeah, we've been, I would say, best friends ever since. 
Best friends, yeah. I'll co-sign that one. Yeah, I, I presume my voice was booming around Vicar Street, draining out all of the other people having fun. But look, those days are over. Now we just sit in our rooms. So, so that's the way it is right now. You've got some noisy neighbours today. I've got some noisy neighbours. It's just the way it is. Adam might intervene at any point. You just never know. But we'll proceed as normal. On this episode, we'll be doing our top five 90s rock anthems. A very broad category that may have tripped us up, but we'll get to that later on. That's in honour of our album review. It's garbage. Shirley Manson. Legends. Is it a good album, though? I don't know. What I do know, though, listener, if you are, you know, kind of the kind of person who wants to donate money to a podcast, for example, maybe the price of a pint, you can do that. Patreon.com slash no encore. You get bonus episodes in return. And you might just you might just encourage Craig to come home, you know, come back to the show. We miss him. He's back next week. You know, spoiler alert. He's back regardless. Uh, Sarah, before we get going, of course, you are a member of Pillow Queens. Incredible band. You've had a hell of a year so far. Signing to Sub Pop. You've been on two Late Late Shows, of course, the James Corden one and the Ryan Tuberty one. You are a superstar. What is the latest with the band? How is everything going? Things are going well. We're in the process of writing Albert, Albert number two, album number two, <laughs> and the plan is to, yeah, release that as soon as things go back to normal. Well, we have to record it first, I suppose, but yeah, going to release an album. In the meantime, we have Rock Against Homelessness this Sunday, and there'll be a few important heads on that lineup. Aslan, for example, Wyvern Lingo, ourselves. Laura Whitmore is going to be doing some emceeing duties. So yeah, it's going to be a, a packed lineup. See you there virtually. Yeah, you might. You know, I might. I, like, look, maybe I'll just shout at you this time at some kind of incredible star-studded populated event. But it's time to shout at this week's news. Hit the music, Adam. about the good news. So here's some week old news for you. That's a good way to start a podcast. It of course was on the night that we record last week that the James Vincent McMorrow gig went ahead. Uh, I want to mention it briefly. The first thing I would say is if you're looking for some in-depth stuff of people who actually went to the show, I'd highly recommend the last two episodes of the Nile Nine Music Podcast because Nile was there and he gave a report last week. And as a matter of fact, they got James Vincent McMorrow on the show. I'm not saying that they're a better music podcast than ours. They're just, you know, a good one as well. If you want to get that level of report but what i would like to talk about is sarah corcoran watching from home on the live stream uh it was pretty emotional stuff for you wasn't it i didn't think i'd even watch it because to be perfectly honest dave i am completely done with watching things on a screen but it was the first live gig we're getting back to somewhat normality ish i wanted to watch then and i ended up crying my eyes out I really didn't expect to, but seeing everybody there smiling up at the stage, enjoying a gig, enjoying live live music, and I just kept thinking, oh my God, we've been missing out on so much for so long. And I think it was the first time that I let myself really think about what I've been missing in terms of live music. And I just got very emotional. So yeah, it was very special. I hope it marks the start of um, exciting things to come. So, uh, Joe Furlong was on Radio Nova at the weekend. He was a member of Sorka Richardson's band and a member of JVM's band, and he was talking about the experience and how he also found himself in floods of tears at one stage and just couldn't really believe what was happening. I've been fairly cynical, you know me, not towards Joe or James or Sorka or anybody, but more the idea of, like, what does the event symbolise, etc. But from your point of view, Sarah, as a musician, and obviously, you know, you are getting the opportunity to do a few things with Pillow Queens, but at the same time, it has just been such a strange time, I think, like maybe particularly for Pillow Queens as a band, because there was all that momentum and then the world stops. You've managed to keep your head together, though. You've managed to kind of keep, like, I guess, a level of momentum. But like, yeah, I guess what I'm asking you here in this in this long winded thing is to summarise the last 18 months of your life for me now and for the listeners. Thank you. 
Easy peasy. Uh, no, it's not easy at all. Um, it's been so strange um, because, yeah, there has been a lot of momentum behind the band. We've obviously released our first album. We did US TV for the first time. We've garnered a lot more popularity than we ever had when live gigs were a thing. So when we get back to it, we're going to be playing bigger venues to a bigger crowd, hopefully, uh, if it ever happens. Um yeah, I don't know how I'm going to respond to that, probably with Tears. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it when it does eventually happen. I think Tears are acceptable. And I must say, I had to hold back some Tears of my own at the weekend because it was record store day. And I've been talking on the show for quite some time about how, you know, I, I'm suddenly into vinyl. You know, Dahi got me a record player for Christmas and, I, and, and, I, and now I can't stop spending money on vinyl. So it was record store day. I've never really done it before. And obviously this year it was a lot more toned down. No bands were playing or anything and it was queuing systems and the like. But I'd said in, in the run up to this show that I was after one album in particular. And that album was Go Tell Fire to the Mountain by Woo Life an act that we've talked about on this show. Are you a fan? I, no, I, I, you sent me a, a picture of this album on Record Store Day and I hadn't a clue what it was. So I appreciate you filling me in now on the podcast. I can't believe it. I, like, like, I thought you were on board. I thought you were a part of the cult. So there are pretentious... Kind of like Wu-Tang Clan or the different band. Uh, completely. Yeah, no, it's basically the same thing. I mean, it was, oh. you know, four pretentious white boys from Manchester in England who put out one album 10 years ago. And... For me, it's like the greatest one and done album ever. Go Tell Fire to the Mountain, as I said. Out of print on vinyl. Adam Discog's legend that he is was trying to track me down a copy and it was going for big money and you have to like, you know, like I'm like, will it even ship correctly? What kind of condition will it be in? But then I saw that it was actually being reprinted for the 10th anniversary, which is at the weekend for Record Store Day. And so it was like, okay, I had a bookmark on the Rough Trade website open. It was like there's 650 copies available, but they're all only available after six o'clock on Record Store Day if they don't sell out. So I was like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Long story short, went into town on the weekend, managed to get myself a copy, the Holy Grail, the greatest moment of my life. It's amazing. And so I sent the same photograph that I sent to Sarah, to several people, of course, because I'm that kind of guy. And I put it into the No Encore group chat. And I, I said, lads, Adam responds and said, he did it. And then Craig comes along, right? And Craig's like Mr. Elusive, Mr. Aloof. You know, you never know what he's doing. So Craig says... For fuck's sake, Dave, you've ruined a potentially wonderful moment. And I didn't even have a clue what he was hinting at. So I said, what did I do? And Craig responds and said, only messing, but I buzzed into town early today and I picked up a bunch of stuff, including two copies of the Woo Life album. I was getting spare anyway, but if we ended up with a crestfallen Dave in the chat later on, obviously it was yours. And then Adam responded... I believe Adam was in Cork and Adam said, same, I was looking out for a copy just just in case all over the place, putting out feelers. And I was just like, I was so overwhelmed. I may have been day drunk at this point, but I nonetheless was just like, my boys, they love me. This isn't news at all, is it? That's just my record. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was just like elated. It was it was a very emotional time. So you had an emotional time at the live stream, James Smith's McMorrow gig. I had an emotional time at Record Store Day. I think... Tears all around, yeah, and I think, you know, like, it's it, it's been a nice little while, you know, like, it's getting, the weather's getting a bit better, vaccines are happening, there's a buzz in the air, commerce is back, it's all happening, and as I, as I strain to hear a sound in the faint distance, there's an ominous tone out there, and I think it sounds a bit like... Melvin Bend. 
Oh, that's right. It's Melvin Ben Corner because now it wasn't Melvin himself, the head of Festival Republic. Sarah shaking her head. Uh, Electric Picnic announced during the week that they are they're going ahead and they put the festival back by three whole weeks because according to them that should be enough time for the whole country to get vaccinated. There still is no announcement of a lineup. There's still no announcement of capacity. But I've seen some documents that indicate that they're still pushing the seventy thousand capacity at least. That maybe that's an old thing. I'm not going to factually state that right now and get a cease and desist but there has been no kind of outline as to what this will be they you know this is a bold optimism thing you know they received almost half a million from the government this week in terms of arts funding for the live performance support scheme and then a day later it's a case of yeah no we're on it's happening three weeks later when it'll be pretty cold and miserable probably in late september you have to imagine even in the best of circumstances but I'm surprised at the amount of people who think that this is going ahead as a full festival. Sarah, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of said it yourself. They're really holding out for an Indian summer, aren't they? Because I think even if it does go ahead, the likelihood of it being a nice weekend, pretty slim. Um, I even think like in the data that's been published about how much money they've received, etc., etc., I kind of seem to think that this mention of the Olympia Theatre is their contingency plan. Are they just going to spend it on a series of live streams and hope for the best? They hope they won't be questioned. I'm speculating, of course, but I don't know. It just seems like blind optimism to me. Yeah, no, that's fair speculation because there was a proviso that said that the money was granted and the €423,000 was to put on a series of shows. And yeah, Dublin's Olympia Theatre was mentioned, as was like Stradbally Hall in Leash, where the festival takes place. So I guess a contingency plan would have to be either much smaller shows with like very limited capacity in which you could get people in and maybe you divvy it up that way. Or, as you kind of hint at there, maybe pre-recorded live streams, which again feels feels so last year, I would suggest. But I just don't see how it could work in any real way to even bring in international acts. I mean, any bookings that are happening now for some gigs coming up, like, you know, Aldous Harding and Eve Toomer, there's some very attractive looking gigs happening. But they're all on the map for next year and kind of a good few months into next year. And that does feel a bit more realistic. Uh, the picnic thing just feels like a PR move to me. It feels like an inevitable will be cancelled. I don't know that. Like, I can't categorically state one way or the other, but I just found it to be bizarre. Now, they've been bullish before, but I don't know. I, like, I don't see how a three-week difference makes a huge, like, change to the situation. Uh, in the best of times, though, Sarah, I, I've been very, very vocal about my kind of, you know, increasing hatred of the festival experience. Are you a festival person? I, I can't quite recall. I, I've met you at a festival before, and and it was a lot of fun, but I don't know. I've never been to a festival that I haven't played and that sounds like such a a baller move of me but actually it's just because I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to the whole rain experience so unless I have a guarantee that I'm going to at least play a gig I'm not going to a festival. I mean I think that's a fair enough request you know like it is a bit of a rock star demand but you know, this is the rock episode, so that's kind of what I want to expect from it. I've only ever really gone to them when I've worked at them, generally. I've been to a few before this, but usually it's a case of I'm there for the weekend to do some work and complain about things and just be an annoying dark cloud that gets in everyone's way. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, in this new future, though, of my fear of asking a promoter for a guest list, I mean, that's got to be at the window for about two years, right? Surely. Yeah, definitely. It's just etiquette, you know? Um... Uh, have you any like 
I guess, interesting festival experiences? Because I feel like, you know, like, like one of the questions we used to ask in the old Hopper's days was about asking bands about their kind of spinal tap moments and like live things happening. But to me, like festivals are kind of terrifying. Like they're terrifying for me on the ground. I always wonder for the acts on the stage because it just feels like there's, I'm sure like it's all very well managed, but also like it, it, it just feels like everyone's kind of flying by the seat of their pants or the skin of their teeth or some other analogy. So like what kind of memorable memories do you have of playing festivals where maybe it didn't go perfectly well or if it did go perfectly well by all means oh i have a wonderful story that i've had never to share but i feel enough time has passed and just the idea of sharing any story about a live gig is kind of exciting to me um we were playing a set at forbidden fruit and we'd arrived we'd done kind of i think 12 or so dates before we got forbidden fruit and this was our last day so we kind of planned to to let loose a little bit after our set so we got to the festival i think we had two drinks we had been promised some free drinks because it was a sponsored festival unfortunately they had run out of drink by the time we got there so we had to buy our own drink when we got there so two pints preset pints you know loosen things up that's fine got on stage few sets in and i break a string it happens whatever i borrow a guitar it's fine then the guitar strap breaks Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Then I lose my capo, so I can't play the song in the key that I want to play it in. The girls are going crazy at me because everything that could go wrong is going wrong, but it's it's all me. It's it's all going wrong for me and only me. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, we play the set. We end up not playing one of the songs that we were supposed to play. It was supposed to be a big deal for us that we would play this song. And we finish the set and I'm looking everywhere for the capo. I'm like, where could it be? Where could it be? And then I put my hand around to my back pocket and I realized that it's been in my back pocket for the entirety of the set. So I don't want to admit this to the girls because they'll lambaste me. So I take the cap away out of my back pocket. I throw it on the ground behind an amp and I'm like, oh, look, there it is. And I found it. It must have fallen down my, my pocket or whatever. And then I realized that this gig has been heavily photographed. So if any photographs appear it's going to be super obvious that the cap was in my back pocket. So I had to wait about two weeks before the dust settled and then admit to the girls what I had done. Um, they they laughed because enough time had passed. But um, a review came out of said gig a couple weeks or like a couple days after the gig and um, basically said that it was very obvious that we had had one too many of the free drinks at Forbidden Fruit uh, because for the we were coming across really unprofessional. I was like, no, it was just... Very clumsy, unfortunately, not drunk. So, yeah. Jesus, that is fucking... I mean, like, I guess you could sue there for some degree of, of libel because, <laughs> as you say, you were completely fucking shortchanged on the free drink situation, which is just <laughs> so typical of an Irish festival. Um, good God, that is that is rough. At least the girls were sound, though, you know. It yeah. hasn't... Like you're 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 not like a, a lightning rod for for bad things happening at gigs. I mean, I know I, I am. I'm a klutz. Like they do <laughs> say that about me. They won't leave anything precious around me at any point because I will break it. So Jesus, I have to ask you though. Like, like I I must indulge the the critic side of myself now. I mean, mm. I, something I ask people from time to time: Do you pay much attention to reviews? Like, are reviewers too harsh? Am I an asshole? Basically, is what I want to know. No, I love reading reviews. Um, Adam nodding. Adam is furiously nodding his head. Which one of those questions? I don't know. Um, Yeah, no, I read reviews. I think I'm probably getting to a point where I will stop because they're getting mean. Because I think when you get to a point where you're no longer just playing in the local pub, people start to to begrudge a little more. So the the comments are getting meaner. Um, Definitely when we did the the Late Late shows, the comments were... um, 
yeah, pretty harsh, but not about the music, all about our appearance, which is much harder to read, I think, because you can say, okay, fair enough, you don't like the music, but when somebody starts saying shit about your outfit or whatever, you're like, hold on a second. No, 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 no. Um, but no, I don't think reviewers are, are harsh. I think they're um, a necessary evil, maybe. Well, I would say a couple of things in response to that. First of all, Sarah is one of the most sartorially incredible musicians we have on this island of Ireland. So how dare anybody come for you that way? But yeah, no, it's that is unfortunately true. And I find like Facebook comments and Twitter comments and such um, when it's on a show like The Late Late Show. I mean, it's something I saw on Joe when I worked there and I've seen it, you know, just in general, if like an act is playing The Late Late that I might be interested in, just see what the kind of perception was. And unfortunately... Uh, it's incredibly commonplace and it goes in line I think with the whole social media thing of just like people just don't seem to realise or care that they're actually like saying really fucked up shit to a person that they wouldn't say to them in person of course um, and it, it's across the board like you know like uh, uh, and it's it's a fucked up mark on like it's it's completely unacceptable but it's a fucked up mark that like I think the general public think that you've made it therefore like you're somehow not human anymore or something like it's just such a bizarre thing but um yeah jesus christ i mean that's such a horrible fucking side effect to have to deal with especially when you're doing something that should be incredibly celebratory and like it is a marker i have to say like like like, i i I was kind of surprised that like it it took so long for pillow queens to be on the irish late late show but look as far as i'm concerned they're behind the times, but we'll move on. We'll make a comment on that one, Sarah. <laughs> I will say, though, from one bad review to another, uh, Foo Fighters played a gig this week in America, and uh, there were lots of anti-vaxxers outside causing trouble because, I guess, you know, gigs now have to be regulated and, like, what a horrible thing. Um, I won't get too much into that because there's actually something much more troubling concerning the Foo Fighters has come out just in the last few minutes. I don't know if this is a joke or not, but apparently they're releasing a disco album for the second record store day, um, and Adam is currently like hitting his hand off his head. Adam, of course, the the biggest lover of disco that I know, and and and, and kind of a, a long suffering Foo Fighters fan who's you know obviously not as on board with the most recent material. Pillow Queen's never going to go disco, are they? Although maybe you could make it work. I never say never, Dave. What about the Foo Fighters, though? Is that something that would make it like in any way interesting? Uh, I, 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 Adam keeps pulling the most. The most upsetting faces. I, I need to get you a microphone, man. I'm sorry. I do apologize. Um, but yes, Foo Fighters con- fan generally, Dave. Just no, I, I've I've never got it. Like, I mean, like, like mm-hmm. I, I've never fully understood it. it. Like, they're kind of one of those bands that, to me, have become increasingly um, in like just just there. Like, they're kind of omnipresent, and it's gotten to a stage now where they're kind of fading into just this kind of blur. You know, it's like like it's barely even music anymore. It's just Dave Grohl. It's just a big brand thing. And when they do stuff like this, like it could be an incredible work of musical genius or it could just be like a gag. And it's like, all right, cool. It just feels like they always have to kind of be be up to something, you know, which I which I don't quite fully understand. Um, there is, however, I must ask you, there's a there's a Netflix series coming about Spotify and it's funny because I was reading the, the press notes on this and it's described as like a David versus Goliath story. And I'm like, how does that work? Like Spotify is now Goliath, so I don't really see how it will work. But they're trying to sell it as this kind of like sexy kind of social network thing about like, you know, kind of young renegades who took on and uh, a decrepit organization and, and, and came out on top. But of course, Spotify, you know, has arguably become the enemy to a lot of musicians. It's a six part Netflix series. It's 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 fictionalized. So it's not a documentary, but it is based on real events. As a musician, would you watch this? Absolutely, but I watch every bit of trash that Netflix even touches. Um, 
I hate Spotify and use Spotify every single day. And as an artist, I should not support any of this, but it's it's easy. It's easier for me. Um, and I loved the social network. I thought that was a piece of art. So if it's anything like that, sign me up. 100%. Yeah, like there is the potential that I'm overselling it. I'm not sure it will have the Fincher-esque nous. Although I remember when I like when they first put out a trailer for the social network with like a had like a coral kind of version of Radiohead's Creep on it and I was like this looks like the worst thing of all time. Turns out I was wrong. It's a very good film. Some people say it's the best film of the 2010s. Would you agree? Uh, well, I mean anything that had Justin Timberlake in it to be honest is a contender. Really? For for best film of the 2010s? Not not really, no, but he's he's a wonderful actor. Do you think so? And a beautiful man, yeah. Okay, this is interesting because he like he's taken a serious kicking on the show in recent weeks and probably recent years. I'm not even anti him. I think he was great for a time. I think he can be a good actor. He's good in um, Inside Lewin Davis, but I did not know that you were such a stan. This is this is shocking breaking news that I've I, like I, I, don't, I don't know how to contend with. Yeah, not a fan of his music, but yeah, really enjoy him as an actor generally. Friends with Benefits is up there as one of the the greatest of all time. Really, I haven't seen that one. Oh, um, it's great. Okay, I mean, I, I, it's interesting because I think the first time I ever encountered you in my entire life, Sarah, was when you used to work in a, in a, in a very upmarket cinema in Dublin. <laughs> And yet we disagree on films all the time. And I, there's a film out right now, actually, that I haven't seen. And I don't want to see it because I'm scared what will happen. I believe you went to the cinema to see this film. And apparently it has a kick and soundtrack, Cruella. It's brilliant. Okay, look, I'll stand up and say I have the worst taste in movies. I have a master's in film and I worked in the Irish Film Institute for six years. And I have the worst taste in movies ever. I will watch Clueless once a month. That's a great really film. It is art. The Lion King original version is still one of the best films ever made. I, I have terrible taste in movies. Anything with Hugh Grant in it, incredible. But this yeah, Cruella's, Cruella's a great movie. I really would recommend seeing it. It's it's long. It's it's long for me. Now I see what the kind of movies that you watch, Dave, this is probably not too long for you. It's like two hours and five minutes. That's long for me. That's pretty long. It It's long. Um, but yeah, the soundtrack's amazing. The fashion in it's incredible. It's just, uh, it's a feast for the eyes and the ears. I would definitely recommend it. There's a lot to be said for a tight 90 minute film of which they don't make too much of anymore, unfortunately. You know, anything over two hours is kind of pushing it, maybe, possibly. I did just watch The Doors, which was two hours and 20. That's an upcoming No Popcorn. It'll be happening soon. Give it a couple of weeks. We'll drag Craig into this mire. I'm looking forward to it. He hates The Doors more than anything in life, I believe. Um, how much of Cruella was really, really good? How much of it was I'm back in a cinema? And that just feels amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. Putting you uh, on the spot here, that's what I'm doing. I probably would have watched anything and I think, yeah, Cruella was never something that I wanted to watch. I didn't watch a trailer or anything. I don't even know that I've seen 101 Dalmatians, but it was great. I really did enjoy being back in the cinema. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to have to get you onto a no popcorn in the future so I can properly grill your film taste, but I'll ease off for now because you're the Thank guest you. and, and, and I don't want to be too mean. And I feel like I've, I've grown out of that kind of thing, you know? I don't want to be too judgy when it comes to people's film taste. Sure, listen, I'm about to embark on a rewatch of every Fast and the Furious film now over the next week or so in honour of the new one coming out. So I can't be a snob. I, like, like, I, 
I can't go after anyone's taste, so I, I won't do it. And I don't know if I'll read. I guess our last news story here. Uh, Motley Crue's Nikki Six has announced a new memoir called The First 21, How I Became Nikki Six. And he's essentially kind of like selling this by saying that you've heard all the tales of excess and debauchery, all the peaks and valleys that came with rock and roll stardom and my life in one of the world's biggest bands. This is a story that you haven't heard, the one that led up to those stories. It's the intimate personal tale of how an innocent Idaho farm boy with a burning dream and desire for music, for love and for fame became the notorious Nikki Six. Now, I don't know about you, Sarah, but like when it comes to any kind of biography situation, I've no, no matter who it is, musician, filmmaker, footballer, activist, whatever, I don't really care about the fir- like the childhood, the teenage, whatever. Like I only want to know about like when you're in the thing and what happened around the thing. Maybe I'm a freak, but I don't know. No, no, I have to disagree. And maybe it's just coming from mm, I probably consider myself a fellow narcissist who has always dreamt of writing my own book about how I became the pillow queen I am today, the notorious Sarah Corcoran of pillow queens. This is. This is the meat of the story is finding out why, what made them become the person they are today, the person that I know and love. Why are they that person? I want to hear about the time they sat in the bathtub pretending to be interviewed. I want to hear about them looking into the mirror and saying, you're going to be somebody someday. You're going to get out of this town. You're not going to be that Idaho farm boy anymore. You're going to be the notorious Nikki Six. I want that. I want, I want to see the movie version of this. So I'm glad you said fellow narcissist there because I feel like that like I can also jump in on this. Um, have you? So you've thought about this. You've thought about writing your autobiography or or, yeah. or, or at least working on one. Having maybe like you know having a ghost written, which is the ultimate flex, I suppose. Um, do you have a title in mind? Because I like I have mine. If I ever write one, I never will, of course. But if I ever did, oh, you're really putting me on the spot now. Well, I will say mine. If I may just uh, give you time to think. Uh, I would go with, I do it all again. And it's like two exclamation marks, like horrible, thin red font, like a comedian, white background and like me on the cover with my hands, you know, like, like, like kind of outstretched looking up at the yeah comic sans, as Adam suggests, my hands outstretched <laughs> me, like looking up at like an impish grin. And it's yeah, because I just think that, that that is just the most generic nothing. I do it all again. Fucking terrible so yeah i need to get famous 14 chapters are just you growing up in drada and all the reasons that you wanted to get out of that town oh yeah well i I don't think that would take 14 chapters although maybe i could make it one big mega chapter but um well look listen we have we we have more things to do on the show if if in fact a sarah corcoran approved autobiography like autobiography autobiography title comes to you well then we can go for that but for now uh speaking of storytelling this is a perfect link i didn't even mean to do this um if you're into other kinds of storytelling for example myths and legends no encore is very much not the podcast for this but thankfully we know of one that is and it's this one on the headstuff podcast network once upon a time Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods to the epic wars fought by Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olahan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, you can always join me by the fireside. 
And speaking of stories, long-term storytelling comes in the form of our album review and the act behind it. It's Garbage. They're back with their seventh studio album. It's called No Gods, No Masters. This is the lead single. It's called The Men Who Rule the World. Unmistakable tones of Shirley Manson there. She's Scottish. Garbage are American, though, formed in Wisconsin in 1993. They've been on the go for pretty much that time. I think they've had the odd hiatus, but generally have been a very enduring force in the world of alternative rock. Um, kind of perennial underdogs despite having commercial success. Like They've sold over 17 million records worldwide. This is me doing a primer, by the way. There's no Craig this week, so I have to do it myself, which unfortunately will not be pages of notes long because I prefer to just cut to the quick, get to the heart of the matter. And as far as Garbage go... Um, I've always liked their presence in the world of music, rock or otherwise. I saw them play at Electric Picnic about three years ago, I want to say. They were on, I feel like they were on like, on like Sunday afternoon or something, or maybe like late evening-ish. And I, I, I believe Shirley Manson said, like, this is the first time we've been back in Ireland in like fucking 15, 20 years. It was something ridiculous. And like, she basically was like, they just don't book us. Like, I mean, promoters just don't really give us the call, Um, which is interesting because like they do have a lot of support out there from Irish people. I mean, if you look at like a Dan Hegarty, for example, on 2FM is like a huge champion of that band. He seems to play them every other week. And I was thinking of him this week when this came out because I know he's always been kind of pushing them and you'll see the garbage Twitter account kind of responding to him and being like, thanks so much, Dan. So they're like, they're kind of a, you know, like they're like, like I said, they're a multi-million selling act, but they feel, they feel like an indie act, you know, they feel like an indie film. They feel like the kind of like the little band that could in a way. And they've kind of been plying this kind of alternative rock trade for quite some time. Uh, the seventh album, No Gods and the Masters, has been quite well received. A lot of people are saying it's their best in some time. I probably agree with that. Sarah, how did you get on and what do Garbage and Shirley Manson mean to you? Well, I was actually at their Dublin gig. When did they play? 2019. They did a headline in the Ivy Gardens uh, when Young supported, which was actually the main reason that I went to see the gig. They name checked Dan Hegarty from stage saying, thank you so much for all the support that you've no given way. us here. Okay. You're the reason that this crowd is here. You're the reason that Irish people know us is because you've supported us since day one, which is so lovely just to see a band do that. Um, I, I really appreciated that. Um, I know you said you don't have pages of notes and, and you won't kind of bore people. But as you know, I'm, I consider that background stuff to be the actual meat of a band. So uh I uh, I loved reading up on Shirley Manson and the whole story of how the band got together and everything else. I think there were a lot of thematic elements that were really explained by that. Um, so well, listen, Sarah, if you want to, yeah, if, if you want to yeah, primer this you. thing, I will. Yes, please. She, uh, yeah, she grew up in Edinburgh. She was a middle child from a middle class family. She went to a public school, but she said that her high school had a great music department. So that was the reason that she had such a love for music. She was in the school orchestra. She studied piano, violin, clarinet. Her mom was an amateur singer, performed with a swing band. And she was also a brownie guide. The themes of God and religion really run through this album. I think you'll agree. Her dad was actually a Sunday school teacher. So she had a very early uh, engagement I suppose with religion and God and that kind of thing and she used to go to Sunday school every week and um, when she was about 10 she started questioning whether or not people who sparked on about God and religion were really all 
all as good as they kind of said they were and questioning the hypocrisy around religion and that kind of thing and at the age of 12 she refused point blank to to go to church anymore yeah but that really comes across in the lyrics my favorite of which is probably would you deceive me if i had a dick Dave, that's would you out. deceive me if I had a dick? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a question that's ran through my head uh, all week, of course, and I'm not sure how to answer it. Um, she's quite confrontational in that regard. And it's funny because I was thinking about uh, her kind of... She's always been, I guess, very outspoken, you know, like in that way and like, takes no shit. Um, and there is an element of like me listening to like this garbage album and lyrics like that one in 2021 and being like wondering if there's even any inkling of it being a commentary on, you know, trans, but I don't think it is at all. I think it's just her being like, if you have a fucking dick, you know, like, like literally it's there in the first song title, the men who rule the world, you know, it's like that hasn't changed. So I think that like there's interpret, like, you know, her comments are open interpretation, but as far as I'm aware, it's just her being like, fuck men essentially. And women don't get listened to enough, which of course is a fair argument. Um, and yeah, I, I think Shirley Manson has always been in this kind of strange position though, as, uh, a front woman of a, you know, like, like, like it's, it's almost like Lauren Mabry with churches where it's like, there's guys in the background and like, maybe you need to be extra, you know, you need to be like, to be taken seriously. And I think, I think she's always kind of like, not so much struggled to be taken seriously, but it, like, they are an overlooked band. And I don't know if it's like, cause she's kind of like a perfect rock front woman or a front man or whatever, like label you want to put on. Like she's an incredible presence, great vocalist unafraid to kind of get into contentious avenues in her lyrics and generally like you know can do the pop thing as well like, i mean like some of garbage's best songs are like pop songs really and that's the case on this one like i think for sure like the ones that kind of hit out to me the most were kind of more flirting with like depeche mode style 80s kind of vibes and anything else uh, it's funny because like you know as you say it is incredibly steeped in religion and god there's three tracks here with the word god in it it's called no gods no masters and i was kind of brought back to of all things the olivia rodrigo album where like some songs will end and like literally like be like where is your god or whatever and the next song will begin and it's when i was talking to god or something so she runs the risk i think of hitting the point quite hard i don't think this is necessarily a concept album but i've kind of lost track of what concept albums are um and i think on a surface level it doesn't feel too preachy ironically enough it doesn't feel too didactic it doesn't feel too wavering um the more i listened to it the more i was like this is incredibly solid and very enjoyable I didn't necessarily feel too much about what she was positing. I mean, I guess it's because I just kind of agree with it. I'm like, yeah, the world is fucked and it's full of men who make bad decisions and I'm an atheist. So I'm maybe she, with me, she was preaching to the converted. How did you get on? Yeah, I suppose I agree. It definitely took me, it took me a few listens to start enjoying it. Um, I almost hated it to begin with just because it felt very dated to me Um sound wise production wise and even lyrically theme wise these feel like something that riot girl bands were were shouting about in in the early 90s and it's kind of like i would love to hear a new spin on it and it kind of feels like she was hearing these themes for the first time and and singing about them garbage are a band that never really struck a chord with me and i don't understand why because they write sort of catchy pop rock melody laden songs that that have themes that generally sh- I should relate to and, and they should really stick with me, but for some reason they don't penetrate me the way that, that other similar acts do. Um, every time that I sat down with this album, I needed to recontextualize it. I needed to live in an alternate reality almost where I was watching a 90s 
rom-com movie and these songs were soundtracking it. And once I got into that reality, I started to really enjoy the album. But external to that, I just found it a difficult listen. It, it felt like it borrowed from mediocre early 2000s Gwen Stefani solo stuff mixed with kind of new rave mixed with yeah like the the b-sides from Paramore like I really didn't I I couldn't love it but yet each single if I imagined it in in a in a 90s kind of American Pie style movie yeah it worked for me that's really interesting um like I say, because it has been so well received, like a lot of reviews have said, like, this is comfortably their best album since version 2.0. It's a rebirth of the band. They sound fresher and, you know, kind of more vital than ever. And, you know, in some of the, like the Pitchfork review, for example, um, really read like a fan review and it was clearly written by a fan. And like the, like the person in the review did give their context with the act and it's a very well written review. It's very nice, but it did feel a bit like I think you kind of have to be invested a little bit. It's interesting that you described the idea of having to kind of conjure up some kind of alternate reality or some kind of companion pieces that don't exist in order to kind of give it that extra level of context. Because for me, it started off and I was, I really liked the first listen, the first few listens. Like I, it went down easy. I listened to it more than the five listen test this week. But with each new listen, even today, I was thinking like, well, I don't think I need to listen to it again hours before the show. Like, I think I've got all I need to get from it. But I gave it one more go mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, yeah. And it, like, I guess the more I listen to it, the less I really kind of find much in it. Uh, so you, so yeah, so like you think it sounds dated? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think maybe um, it's because I'm a quite a lyrics person. Um, some of the lyrics are ridiculously bad. Get off my tits at early noon. Get off my tits. Whatever it meant. Call me a bitch. I'm a terrorist. She sat with these lyrics and thought, yes, this is something that I want to put out as in an album, my seventh studio album that will get heard across the world. They, they're just songs that kind of feel like they were written as they were written a long time ago, but she was never allowed to put them on an album until now. And now she's finally been given this kind of creative control and gone, here, you can do whatever you want, whatever songs you want can go on this album. And so she has a song that she wrote in 1993, uh, If I Had a Dick, Would You Blow It? It it doesn't feel like something that she wrote this year or that anyone would write this year. Now, that being said, I kind of think that applies more so to the first half of the album. Um definitely towards the end I really enjoyed flipping the bird I love the the drum machine intro definitely felt like it was it was a bit more modern it was toying with some kind of slightly more modern production techniques um I think yeah flipping the bird was probably my favorite track in the album even though I sort of hate the concept of using flipping the bird as the main lyric and with it throughout the song um the closing track the city will kill me I kind of got yeah Depeche Mode vibes off that I thought it was a it was a it was a nice kind of album closer though it does in the deluxe version it goes on to have a whole another 10 or so songs I believe um I yeah I really like the city will kill me I like the gotta get out repetition at the end is it's really really cool it just sort of lingers in your ear in a really haunting but nice way the lyrics you referenced earlier there, which yeah, I agree are a bit cringe, her delivery as well, like she has this kind of insistent whisper and it's just a bit too kind of, I don't know, obvious or something. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because I wondered like if this album would work. It's very sheeny, like it's very kind of shiny, like there's a big pop edge to it. I don't know if that's Butch Vig's doing, but like... I wonder if it would be better served if it sounded a bit dirtier or something. I mean, it's almost too polished. It's almost too kind of like 
they've always kind of, I think they've always had one kind of foot in the futuristic or what they deem to be futuristic. And like, that's why I think a lot of the comparisons that are being put out there to version 2.0 from like, was that 98 maybe? Because it does kind of sound similar, <laughs> like at times, like, like, kind of like, like it's, it's not that I'm, not that I'm shocked that you thought it was dated, but I was like, maybe it's just because I kind of, and I hate to say this because I, it, they're not a band that necessarily invite this, but I, I went in with kind of low enough expectations because like you were saying, I've never like been a full fledged, you know, buy the t-shirt, gotta be there, gotta see them thing. It's more that like, if they happen to be around and they're on, or if like that time I saw them at picnic, it was like, it was a nice story and, and they're cool. And I like her a lot. But yeah, there's just something kind of like very kind of instantly forgettable about this album. And I felt that way about the last album, which I think we reviewed in this podcast. And there was one amazing song on there, which I really liked, which is called Even Though Our Love Is Doomed. Uh, they've done one of my favorite Bond themes. I always want the best for garbage, but I don't know if this is the best of garbage. I'm going to give it a 6.5. I feel like you're going to go lower. I'm going to give it a 5. Straight down the middle. I'm going to give it straight down the middle. And and I will say, even when you were kind of questioning me about it being dated there, I think had it been released by a younger band, and I don't mean that I'm not being ageist, but I mean, let's say that band that came out a few weeks ago, the Lindas, who was that group of kids singing about racist, sexist boys. I feel like if they came out with this song, I would be completely behind it because it's a group of people who are coming to terms with these themes for the first time in their lives. And they're, they're questioning the world and, and why it works the way it is but for Shirley Manson in her 50s her seventh studio album singing about this stuff it's like yeah obviously this is what is happening in the world it just didn't seem like there was a new spin on it um yeah I just thought it was yeah I'll stand by it dated five out of ten all right we want some more nuance on the next garbage album but um yeah interesting interesting it was uh it's one of those ones where I probably won't go back to it for the rest of the year. It's it's not like 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 it's not a slam on it. You know, it's if 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 you like the enduring story of garbage, it'll serve you. I was a bit baffled by the deluxe version because when I first saw it, I was like twenty songs. What the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, okay, they've just tacked on like a bunch of B sides and live stuff and whatever. So it's all there if you're a fan. Go check it out. That is no gods, no masters by garbage. And uh, let's see though if our top five this week will serve us a bit better. Maybe um, we've gone for top five nineties rock and. Now, it was kind of, I guess initially, like, Sarah had a really a really good idea, I think. You initially suggested maybe doing, like, Pride Anthems. Yeah. And I was like, that's a great idea. I was like, that sounds cool. But then I thought about it and I was like, look, you know, as a, you know, the, the most evil, terrible thing in the world, I'm sure, I'm sure Shirley Manson would agree, a cis white male, uh, I probably, I, I, I feel like, you know, it'd be like, can I really, you know, be like, here's five Pride Anthems? Like, when I'm just like... I'm straight, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, and I don't want, like, you know, we talked about last week briefly on the show, like, there are brands now coating themselves in the fucking rainbow flag, and I don't want, you know, no encore to be like, yeah, let's do, like, a like a Pride episode for no reason. Even though, of course, I'm sure you would have fucking killed it. If there are some Pride anthems that you think are unreal, please let me know. But as you can tell from my awkward cadence here, I'm just like, I feel like I'd be getting in the way, you know, like, because like, like, I'm just, you know, I'm that guy, I'm sorry. I think everyone's pride anthems are always going to be different anyway, so my offering might have been um, protested against as well. So we, we I would probably never. made the right choice. I would never. I would never. I, I, again, I'd be like, I'd be like, yep, you're educating me. I have no idea. These are all bangers, <laughs> I assume. So instead, yeah, I was like, let's go, to, like, let's go too broad instead. Let's go for top five '90s rock anthems, which is kind of as the days have worn on, give me a bit of a headache because I'm like, how do you define an anthem? How do you define the 90s? Like, because you were like, does the year 2000 count? And I was like, no, 
but you're like, but does the year 1990 count? And I was like, yes. So I'm just like, I think we had this problem before, Craig and I. So yeah, what is what defines a rock anthem to you, Sarah Corcoran? I think a rock anthem for me is anything that would get me on my feet if I went to a 90s throwback club night, which I have a tendency to do, um, or if I was at a club in Bulgaria and there was a strange band on stage doing guitar covers. And if they played this song, I would get my phone out and record it. That's pretty good. For me, it's if I'm in, you mentioned earlier on, you mentioned my 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 strange hometown of Drogheda. If I'm there and I'm in a scuzzy bar and like the jukebox is on and someone like, you know, throws on five songs or whatever, and they're usually of that kind of wonderful shit Drogheda pub genre of its own, I'm like, oh yeah, well that should probably be in there. And then, it, and also as well, when you're like, you know, oh God, like what an obvious choice, but then it comes on and you're, you're a minute into the song and you're like, that's just one of the best songs of all time. So I think as well with this category, this is a classic case of, you know, we could revisit this again. Here's five kind of examples from each person. It's hard to be definitive, I think. And there's going to be some, some, maybe some obvious shouts left on the cutting room floor. I think I've mostly kind of got it down. I have no idea what you're going to choose. And that's why I would like you to go first. Okay, I would like to kick off my number five. Enemy described this song's main riff as a balls-in-the-air guitar riff the size of Australia. Adam, hit it. Oh, make me over. I'm all I want to be. I walk and study. Hole with celebrity skin. Dave, is that a rock anthem or is that a rock anthem? It's fucking incredible. I thought it might be your number one. I can't believe it's your number five. I thought it might make it in. That's why I left it out of mine. And I'm glad you picked it because it's an absolute classic. I appreciate it. Hole's most commercially successful song. It was the title track of their third album. This, The main riff in the song was written by Billy Corgan. I did not know this. Interesting. And there's been so much war, continuing war, between Courtney Love and Billy Corgan for various things over the years. I guess it does sound pumpkin-y, but I always thought it was I always thought it was a Courtney Love genius moment. Mm, me too. Um I kind of love all the references on the song. I mean, the the Pound of Flesh, Merchant of Venice thing. I mean, I I don't think that's dated, for example. Um Apparently, while she was on Later with Jules Holland, she said the song was titled Celebrity Skin because she's touched so much celebrity skin, which I liked. (laughs) (laughs) Provocative. Um, How good are Hole, I wonder? I mean, like, are they kind of an overlooked band, do we think? Uh, No, I don't think they're overlooked. I think they I think they had their moment. Um, I really like Courtney Love as a personality, generally. they have some bangers. I watched Hit So Hard, the, the Patty Schemmel documentary, and I think Patty Schemmel was overlooked massively because I think a lot of her drum parts were overdubbed in the studio, which was completely unnecessary. So, yeah, and also I think what Melissa Eftemar was in that band, who also, of course, went on to Smash Pumpkins as well. Uh, yeah, I guess Courtney Love is one of those kind of figures in, in 90s rock in particular where, like, she's so dominant. She's such a character, even, I guess, obviously before the kind of band broke out but yeah but this song is incredibly enduring right i mean it to me it doesn't sound it 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 does at once it sounds like yeah it's got that beautiful 90s punch but also if it came out today do you think it would do well 
I think it I think it would. I think it's a banger. I don't think it matters when it will come out. I think it's a it's a solid song. I get such soundtrack vibes off this song as well. I don't know if oh, that's yeah. just because it's a nineties rock anthem that obviously it would belong in a in a soundtrack. But yeah, I really get such soundtrack vibes off this. Yeah, I feel like if it wasn't if it wasn't in uh like in numerous nineties films, then it was certainly in the trailers. But it probably yeah, like I'm sure there's like a big long list. I like for some reason, like yeah, you think American Pie, which you mentioned earlier on, but like I'm thinking of like shit nineties films like Disturbing Behavior starring <laughs> Katie Holmes and James Marsden, which uh God, I watched so many videos when I was younger that the video library, everyone, bring it back. That's what I say. And bring back celebrity skin. Fucking Belter. I mean like you've really set the bar here. Now I have to like go hard so my number five um i wouldn't call it obscure i don't know if it's an anthem but i wanted at least one of these kind of contentious ones in the mix so adam who's laughing already hit it So that's a filter, a very American band, and the song is Hey Man, Nice Shot. It came out in July of 1995. Uh, It actually was. I can name at least one 90s film that this was in. It was in The Cable Guy. The Jim Carrey film Ooh, that like he got paid twenty million dollars for good film right and everyone everyone thought it was terrible at the time it got a really bad rap directed by Ben Stiller I think and it was the first film that like yeah he got twenty million dollars for it and everyone you know it was the height of his kind of rubber faced comedy bullshit and then he did this film that was really fucking dark and all the critics were like this is terrible it's not funny I think it's really good and this is in a sequence where they're playing basketball I believe and. Jim Carrey's previously happy-go-lucky character like turns into a complete psychopath and this works for it. So this uh, Filter are a weird band. Um, They're basically a one-man army, essentially. A guy called Richard Patrick who used to be in Nine Inch Nails and then went on to do his own thing. So it's got that industrial groove. His brother is Robert Patrick, the actor who played the T-1000 in The Terminator, which is a hilarious link. And yeah, this song, Hey Man, Nice Shot, it was a bit of a hit. They had a much bigger hit a few years later. I'll get to that in a second. But this one, and a trigger warning now for any listeners, just because uh, I, I got to talk about suicide for a second. Sorry. Um, this is a song is written about a famous, horrendous uh, situation in America, a public suicide by a political figure called Or Bud Dwyer. He was a treasury guy or something, and he was going to prison and basically he called the press conference, did a big, long, rambling speech, and at the end of it, shot him. And it was like an early example of like, you know, terrible stuff being circulated amongst the internet. Um, and that's what the song was in reference to. Lots of songs at the time actually referenced this as well in one form or another. Lots of rock bands got in on that. Whether it was good of them or not to do so, you can is up for debate. But what it led to was a lot of radio stations in America playing this song, which was written in 1991, in, apparently initially, but released in 95. <laughs> And a lot of DJs um, misreporting and saying that this was written about Kurt Cobain's death, which was not. And apparently even Dave Grohl was talking to Richard Patrick and was like, what the fuck? And he was like, no, no, I, I wrote it years ago. I've I've told these people to, to not appropriate this myth at all. It's not about Kurt Cobain. And Grohl kind of realized that he was telling the truth and basically was like, he's like, listen, man, I've been accused of writing songs about Kurt, even though I wrote the first Foo Fighters album while I was still in Nirvana and like... 
a lot of horrible tabloid kind of stuff coming out of it. But I will say, as a song, uh, I think it endures. I think when I think of kind of 90s rock and 90s kind of angst, there's something in there. And I was talking to someone about like kind of production methods and stuff about rock albums from the 90s. And they were saying that everything is so compressed. Everything sounds like it's kind of popping, like 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 an about to burst or something. And that can sound good and bad. And I think that's kind of part of its charm. Um, on the subject of Filter as well, a band that are still going, they had a massive hit in 1999, Summertime for Humanity. The song was called Take a Picture. And it's kind of one of those kind of big American radio super ballads with a bit of an edge to it and they're such a strange band like because like a lot of their stuff can be very aggressive but every now and then they'll have kind of a pop hit like this although the last time i checked in on filter one of their most recent songs was called thoughts and prayers and it was not good and it was very much like come get your da kind of stuff but this was good <laughs> you know the 90s were an angsty time what were you like in the 90s uh a child five or something um, yeah <laughs> like probably <laughs> no but i went through various i think i was probably the coolest i've ever been in the 90s um because i was big into skateboarding i was big into cool bands um i, I hadn't discovered rom-coms yet um but you're in a cool band now so i don't know if that like if that can qualify it's like, not as cool when you're 30 though because people don't respond the same way really i would have thought like yeah like, no, you're no, now Echo Chamber, I think people. here, but uh, mostly most people who I encounter don't think the fact that I'm 13 in a band is cool. Well, these people are Philistines and they know nothing. <laughs> Can I have your number Thank four, you. please, in the 90s rock anthems? Uh, number four is uh, just bona fide banger. Adam, take it away. Absolutely incredible. That is, of course, Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins came out in 1995. It is the lead single from the album of that entire century, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Uh, I love that song. I love that album. I think they can do no wrong in this very small period of time. Uh, This was recorded during the same session in which Landslide was recorded. Um, But I think, I think that he came up with the chorus, the... Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Incredible, incredible. In a separate session than when he came up with the intro words, which just are so amazing, which is, the world is a vampire. Amazing, amazing. Dave, rock anthem? I, you don't need my approval. You, like, you, you know, first of all, this doesn't need my approval regardless. But yeah, come on. Like, this is just like... I just threw my head back and was like, God, yes, well, when you played it. Because again, I mean, like, not to be too spoilerific for my own list, but I've left Smashing Pumpkins out because I felt that, like, I'm kind of doing a Craig with Steely Dan with them lately and I'm throwing, I'm, like, I'm getting them in a lot. And I was like, I was, I was considering this. I was considering today. I was considering 1979. And it was like, well, this is very hard. I'll just take the coward's way here and I'll leave them out all together and hope and pray that Sarah will do the right thing. We've, we, it's something I guess Billy Corgan comes up a lot on this show and I think this is a reason why I think because the best stuff is genuinely better than everyone else's best stuff right I mean like how big of a Pumpkins super fan were you and like like, like what was your kind of relationship with them you know what actually I was going to mention this I didn't get into them till quite late I mean probably till maybe like 2010s I'd say I wasn't I just hadn't 
I'm sure I'd heard them kind of vaguely in the background of things and that sort of thing. But I got super into them in yeah in the 2010s when I realized that they were influencing every single band that I loved. So their songwriting was just the 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 format that all of my bands that I loved were were copying. This was like the perfect songwriting. Um, so when I got into them, I got into them hard. A friend of mine, shouts to Mark McGuinness, amazing guy, had the entire box set, like everything, all the special edition, collector's edition stuff on CD, all the DVDs, the live DVDs, everything. And he lent it to me and I just watched and listened to everything that I could on repeat and absorbed it all. I bought all the t-shirts, the zero t-shirt, everything. I was like, right, this is my new brand. I'm a Smashing Pumpkins fan. <laughs> it kind of left as soon as it, it arrived with me, but it, the, the music kind of stayed. Um, they're just amazing. I think Billy Corgan's an incredible songwriter. I love his voice. I, I love the way that he writes guitar riffs. I just think he's brilliant. Were you a fan, fan, when you when it was right to be a fan? Um, I came a bit late as well. Uh, my brother was so, that, and I think my brother was actually at that obviously horribly infamous gig in Dublin where a fan passed away, and that was and again that was like such a surreal time because I think so much of this stuff, music and information and like even like even hearing you talk there and like thinking about it, like so much of this list and so much of what we're talking about right now is all about physical media and being there and like a time and a place, uh, like whether it's, you know, going to a show or just like seeing a video on television for five minutes and like hoping it comes on again or something. Um, I was aware of them. I'd heard them. I was still not fully into music properly yet. I think I was still just listening to like talk radio and just whatever was on the radio. And then eventually it came along. I think I got their greatest hits when that came out, which of course, you know, is like such a basic fuckers way in but you know and that has their cover of landslide on it actually as well yeah so rotten apples i think was the thing and that was got that got me into them and that's so stacked like that just like condenses all of their eras down into like you know three or four incredible moments this of course being in there and then you see the videos and you're like oh my god billy corgan's like some kind of sorcerer or something you're kind of scared <laughs> of him you know like like the imagery is incredible too right oh yeah definitely i mean this music video was, I think, the last video where he had hair. I think any other appearance of Billy Corgan post this music video, he was this sorcerer image, which was amazing. Yeah, they're a band that have endured in, in many, many different ways. I've talked numerous times about going to see them in 2008 and it being a terrible show. I think it was just probably a bad time to catch them. But I think when you write songs this good, this lasting, then you, you kind of have a pass for life. Like, it doesn't matter what he does next or what the pumpkins are or aren't anymore because there's so much there. Before we move off them, though, you, you, it was a throwaway line, Sarah, but you did say Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is the best album of the century. Did I hear you say that correctly? Yeah, stand by that. Fuck, that's a claim. I mean, like, it's amazing, but like, is it not, is it not too amazing? Is it not too exhausting? I, I don't, well, I mean, yeah, it depends what your parameters are for judging the best album. But I think in terms of each song standing up as still being an incredible piece of art, then yes. Okay, well, you've inspired me to go and listen to it again after this. Well, actually, after this, of course, I'm I'm, I'm going to watch the first Fast and the Furious movie, but I'll I'll get to Melancholy as well. You know, I, I, I can multitask. And here is my number four.
January 991. It's the 90s. It's Alice in Chains and Man in the Box, a song I first heard because it was used by a wrestler for their entrance theme. How very Dave. Uh, absolute banger, incredible song, and apparently like the second most played song of the decade on mainstream rock radio in America between, of all times, 2010 and 2019. It endures. It's incredible. Alice in Chains were an act that, like, I feel like a lot of my friends were more into than I was. But I think when you hear stuff like this coming together, Lane Staley's just roaring to the heavens. Jerry Cantrell's unbelievable gu- guitar. It's 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 so infectious. It's unbelievable. A couple of years ago, when I was in Canada, I went to see Corn, and they were fun. And they were supported by Alice in Chains, who, of course, have a new vocalist who sounds exactly like Lane Staley. And between songs like this and Wood and Them Bones, I'm just like, yeah, this is absolute incredible heaven. I love it so much. But Man in the Box, I just, there's something incredibly intoxicating. Like the second it starts and that like drum thing hits, I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is perfect. This is what I want. You could argue it's more grunge, but I think it's a rock song, right? Yeah, grunge is rock. Uh, Is grunge rock? Grunge is rock. Come on. Let's define this. If grunge is not rock, then your two choices are are disqualified. That's yeah, and your last one for sure, and maybe Hole as well. I don't maybe know. Maybe all of them. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Dave, I've never heard the song before in my life. What what am I missing? How have you never heard the song before? Like like how are are you familiar at all with Alice in Chains? Or I've heard it? of them. Okay. Uh, I'll make you a quick playlist because, like I say, I'm, I I can't claim to be like a complete, knowledgeable, hardcore Alice in Chains kind of person. They were always kind of on the periphery, you know. There were some other kind of bands of this ilk that I was more attracted to, but they were there. And again, you know, like, I think even, like, some of their artwork was a little bit scary for Teenage Dave, maybe, as I was still kind of getting to grips. You know, I listened to Creed for a while. It was a bad time. But uh, it must be said that uh, a track like this is just absolute pulsating energy. It's incredible. And I promise, I promise to make you that playlist and we'll move on for now. But trust me, this is this is a five-star rock song of the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I guess we'll move on to my number three then. So the year, I'm going to set the scene for you. The year is 1990. My wonderful mother has been carrying me in her womb for nine months. And, and finally, it's my time to make an appearance onto this fine earth. And the song that plays is... That's me. That's me by Sonic Youth. Yeah, this was the this is the the first Sonic Youth song that I ever heard, and it was maybe the only song that I listened to for approximately six months when I did first hear this song, and it's still not a song I would ever skip. I think this is an incredible, incredible song. Despite the fact that when the spoken word bit comes in, it does maybe teeter on a little bit cringe, but I don't mind. I would forgive anything. Uh, This was the lead single from the band's sixth studio album, Goo. The song was inspired by an interview that Kim Gordon did with LL Cool J for Spin Magazine. And Brian Malko of Placebo agrees with me that this is an incredible song. Said it was the first song he ever heard by Sonic Youth, adding, if it were not for them, his own band would have never existed. Dave, are you a Sonic Youth fan? 
you see, the, this is the horrible moment of the show where a Dave blind spot is revealed. And of course, I know, I know, and it's 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 a shocking thing to confess, but I'm going to confess it. Um, I know this song. I know Sonic Youth, but I don't know Sonic Youth. I'm I, I'm incredibly you know aware of them. I feel like I've heard their most famous album, which you're going to have to help me with. So if I can confirm this, but they're an act that I have kind of slipped through my fingers. You know, like like I, I beyond the iconography and obviously the constant hailing of Kim Gordon in particular. Uh, yeah, it's like if, if I'm going to help you out with Alice in Chains, you're going to maybe have to help me out with Sonic Youth. What am I missing? Well, I mean, you've already kind of hit the nail on the head as to what is so good about Sonic Youth. It is the iconography and it is Kim Gordon. I mean, when I heard this song, I wanted to listen to absolutely everything that Sonic Youth had to offer. But I found when I did do it, nothing sort of compared to this song. Um, There's obviously other bits and pieces that I've enjoyed, but nothing like Cool Thing. This is a standout, really, really, really good song. And yeah, I just think Kim Gordon's amazing. But so, yeah, I mean, in terms of actual trivia with the band, etc., like I wasn't a diehard Sonic Youth fan by any means. I had all the T-shirts, of course. I of even course. had the, the Taylor Swift ripoff Sonic Youth T-shirt that, that she brought out. But um, yeah, this song is just amazing. That Taylor Swift T-shirt, I think, is actually like one of the cooler things she's done, even if it is incredibly, you know, indie point scoring. I think it just, I, I think somehow it overcomes the irony or something. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm still reeling from that intro, by the way. Like that, like, you know, this is what my mum was listening to when you were in the womb. Was she, is your mum a big Sonic Youth fan? Oh, no, just in terms of this would play as my soundtrack. The oh, right. Sorry. I, okay. I entered onto this earth. Do they do is, that in hospitals? Like, like, is this a thing? Can you can you choose music? I guess maybe you can. You're going to have to come into my cinematic universe with me, Dave. I expect you of all people. It's an easy transition here. The, the, the set the scene. I'm being born. The song that's playing in the cinematic universe is Cool Thing by yes. Sonic Youth because I am, of course, a cool thing. Okay, now I get it. Yes. Like right, you're ta- you. Again, you have to understand you're talking to someone who has mentally set himself for eight uh, nine when I see it and maybe even the spin-off of the fast like Fast and Furious movies over the next week. I, I can't I can't stretch beyond the idea of Vin Diesel, Corona and family now for the next like like this the, and cars obviously. This is who I am now. But yeah, Sonic Youth, an act I need to definitely chase up. And also I want to read that interview with LL Cool J. That sounds amazing. Like yeah, when, absolutely. Like, have you read Kim Gordon's autobiography? Or I haven't. Like I believe friend of the Good. show, foe of the show, Zara Hedeman. I think she was raving about it a while ago. And of course, that just made me go, well, now I don't want to read it, Zara. No, I'm, I'm joking. Zara's obviously good people. We are friends. This week, anyway, we're friends. It's good, I assume. Is, is, it, is it worth oh, people's yes, time? It's excellent. Um, I think it would just sort of stretch your interest a little bit more and you'd want to find out more about the band. All right. Well, speaking of stretching, uh, here's a song that definitely qualifies, but I think vocally, it's, there's kind of some rubber band stuff going on. And look, it's an all timer. It's my number three. It's Faith No More, and the song is epic, and it is indeed epic. Released on the 29th of January 1990, so I'm just about getting it in, in in this 90s rock anthems list. Uh, I mentioned kind of Elastic Band-esque vocals there, that's Mike Patton of course, 
Anthony Kiedis of Red Hot Chili Peppers would apparently later accuse Mike Patton of stealing his style in both the video for this song and numerous performances. And it's kind of funny because like Fate No More are an act that uh, I know my my beloved No Popcorn co-host David Higgins is a huge, huge fan. Uh, I think they're a great band. But again, you know, I couldn't go on Mastermind and my specialist subject be Fate No More. It's kind of one of those acts where I like what I like. I cherry pick what I've heard over the years. This is one of their biggest hits. It's off their album The Real Thing. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't know enough about Mike Patton, but he's such a strange, you know, incredibly singular individual in the world of alternative music. You know, he fronted Dillinger Escape Plan for a bit. I have to wonder if he was just taking the piss at a Red Hot Chili Peppers with this song and somehow ended up with something incredible, right? <laughs> Another blind spot for me, unfortunately. I, this song? I, I, I've never heard this song. How is this possible? This is this is absolutely shocking. Did you not have MTV? You know, I actually didn't have MTV. No, which is um, well, now, an awful now, pity. But now I feel also, bad. It's no, no, no. It's it's kind of exciting for me uh, to be discovering a whole new era of music that I'm most definitely going to love um, now. But when you send me this playlist, inevitably I'm going to end up making a Pillow Queens album that sounds like these songs, which is going to be a, a strange turn. Yeah, well, this is going to be like my my great legacy on Irish music, you know. Like, if, if anything comes from this, it'll be. And I hope, I hope, I hope, finally, maybe, possibly, because it, it's, I think it's still never happened. I've never been thanked in the liner notes of an album, and I, 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 I thought, I thought, I thought one of my Irish musician friends would have done it by now, but uh, apparently not. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, this is a this is like pretty much their biggest hit. I think it's an incredible song, Radio Ready and Radical. Even though the guys did not write it to be this way, they were kind of like, we did not think that it would become a big commercial hit and apparently it was uh, Rolling Stone magazine took a bit of a dig they said that like this was their high point certainly as far as singles go they think that they never really recreated the creativity or the the nouse as the years wore on um, an act that still go they were supposed to play that Sunstroke festival remember in Ireland that they're doing that they were going to be one of the headliners uh, an interesting band I'll do some more research for sure when I'm putting together Sarah's mega playlist. I'm now going to incorporate them. I'll probably just make you a big 90s rock playlist or something and maybe put it up on our on our Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore, where everyone can enjoy it. But for now, Sarah, I believe you're up. Well, Dave, a lyric that probably wouldn't go on the radio in this day and age, carve your name into my arm. This is my number two. said I didn't have MTV I discovered this song through the wonderful piece of art that is Cruel Intentions so did I opening song of that movie there's that what I would say drone shot was probably a helicopter shot that opens the movie where we're looking at the the car driving through the town and the song is playing this this song is amazing um I, I this song got me into placebo in a very big way yeah, so hang on, it's, it's Every You, Every Me, is it? Every You, Every Me came out in 1999 uh, when Brian Melko was asked who was it about. He said, I'm not sure yet. I think a lot of people, probably anybody, everybody who's ever had the displeasure of sleeping with me. Uh, <laughs> great line. Um, I was more of a singles kind of gal, probably because I got all my music from, from illegal downloading sites. So I never really knew albums and album orderings and that kind of thing. However, I did have all of Placebo's albums drawn onto the back of my geography book in school so that people would see it and hopefully think that I was alternative and cool. 
drawn onto the back of the book. Like, like, like traced how did, on. Like yeah, I, yeah. I literally just like looked up the images and then was like, okay, I need to draw these so that people can see on the back of my geography book that I'm they like, did that a there's very, a reason for me being strange. Yeah, they had very arresting artwork. Um, Placebo are such a 90s band, aren't they? I mean, of course, they, they've continued to have a career beyond the year 2000. Um, but yeah, this is a hell of a choice. Cruel Intentions for me as well, another VHS era classic. And I believe either my sister or my brother had a, had the first two albums then. And I was able to be like, oh my God, there it is. But yeah, there's, they're so of their time. Brian Malko is amazing. Absolutely incredible. I think it was between this and any other song that was on that soundtrack. Could have been my number two. Um, Bittersweet Symphony blur song too uh, like there were there were there's incredible a depressing songs counting crows song in there yeah. <laughs> i think you could, everyone oh, could yeah. enjoy colorblind yeah colorblind Amazing. that's it yeah jesus i play plays during the love scene i believe saw that film a lot you know yeah, me and too. not and not just because of oh my god the kiss it was just like it was it was a very pop culture thing that movie 98 i believe and uh yeah this is this is such a banger i saw placebo play in three arena a few years ago were you there I was not, but I did see them play in the Olympia quite a few years ago. And the opening band was a band called Silver Sun Pickups. Who <gasps> They're good. Were the reason that I got into Smashing Pumpkins, because I was like, wow, I love this band so much. And then everybody who knew Smashing Pumpkins were like, this is a Smashing Pumpkins ripoff band. So I checked out Smashing Pumpkins and it turned yes, out they were right. They are a Smashing Pumpkins ripoff band. They got a few good songs though. Lazy Eyes yeah, Amazing. Did. It's Nice to Know You Work Alone. And uh, Panic Switch. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, they got some good stuff. Um, the placebo gig I went to, I think it was like the 20th anniversary of possibly this album, Without You I'm Nothing. And what really kind of pissed me off though was when they kicked off the show, they played this song like over a video montage of Placebo. So technically not a live performance. And then I don't think they played it in the set because they played the full song oh, and like no. over this kind of cinematic. And like, you know, there was a lot of hardcore Placebo fans there who were going mental and it was fun, you know, experiencing that in a giant cavernous arena. But like, yeah, I don't think they actually played it live then, which is just like, what the fuck? Come on. It's one of the reasons I'm here. It is, yeah. But what isn't disappointing is uh, is Placebo's best songs. I think they're an incredible greatest hits band. They got some incredible stuff. And yeah, this has just been this has just been gold after gold. So I'm gonna have to try and, and match this. Now, my number two this week, right? Um, but can a rock anthem be tender as well? You ask. Yes, say this band. You and me, I can see us dying. Oh. makes the heart sing doesn't it yeah there you go like everyone let out a big sigh of emotion it is don't speak by no doubt it was the first time i ever encountered the band i presume that was the case for a lot of people it's from their third record tragic kingdom came out in april of 1996 and i believe this song was written by gwen stefani and her brother eric who was previously in the band apparently it was just like a general love song but then gwen stefani broke up with a member of no doubt tony canal i think is the bass player he dumped her Stayed in the band. I mean, let, let, let's just stop that for a second. Can you imagine being like having the ability to say the words, yeah, I dumped Gwen Stefani in the 90s? Like, are you kidding me? What? He's an idiot, clearly. And stayed in the band. 
what the fuck? I don't get it. But they had to go on stage every night and sing this. And because she wrote, she rewrote the lyrics to reflect that specific relationship. Then this becomes their breakout hit. I believe it was one of the biggest songs in American radio. It went to number one in Ireland and England. And um, yeah, I think that there was some weird glitch where like, it was like the hottest airplay song on the Billboard charts, but because it wasn't properly released as a single over there at the time, it didn't quite get like, you know, the flowers it should have from a commercial rock radio point of view. But yeah, I thought about this song. I had it in, then I took it out, then I put it back in because I was like, yeah, a rock anthem can be, you know, a heartbreak sing-along. And I think that this one, I hate to use the word iconic because it's overused, but this song is iconic, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was very close to putting this on my list too. It's an amazing song. It really stands the test of time. Um, so does she. She's as incredible. Um, I just think that this song could come out today and would do equally as well. It's an incredible breakup anthem. It is an anthem. You're you're right. You've hit the nail on the head. Very tender. Well, yeah, it builds though. I mean, I think initially I was kind of put off because I was like, oh, you know, it, like it is, it's low key to a degree, but like it does turn into this incredible cathartic scream along by the end of it. And I can't imagine what that must have been like for, for Gwen as her star was on the rise. But, you know, what a front woman, what a superstar, a pretty good band. I think, you know, we talked about them on the show before, a bit like maybe underrated, but yeah, this is an all timer for sure. And it had to go in. And then I, I thought it was a wonderful chess move for me to just to just get it in there and just be like, you know what, let's get some emotion into this mix. So I don't know, you know, like you've done, you know, like you've been kind of killing me so far, Sarah, but I feel like I've I feel like I've pulled it back now with this one. Fair play. I mean, yeah, as I said, it was contender for my list. So I'm really glad that that you included it on yours. Brilliant. You can take some of that credit. It's fine. It's fine. So. I guess, you know, it's not always like a 54321. It's not always like a definitive thing. But what what does your number one mean to you? Well, I really struggled with this. Um, I kind of knew as soon as you said it to me what my number one would be. What my struggle was, was in fact fitting it into the parameters of it being a rock anthem. So I searched long and hard through the internet and I found a statement from the songwriter, which I will now read to you to justify my choice. These were kids that weren't really wearing a uniform in any certain way. They weren't mods, they weren't punks, they weren't jocks, they weren't sportos. They were just these kids that liked music, saying that they got picked on a lot. I sort of verbally set out to write an anthem for them. And that's how it started. Adam, this is my number one. Somebody once told me the no, no, this can't be real. No way. She was looking kind of dumb with the finger. Oh my god. In the shape of oh my god. I don't know what to say. Forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets. Are you for fucking real? I feel like I've just been rickrolled. <laughs> Take your time. This can't be real. I, 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 I'm, I'm in shock. Produced. Oh, of course, that song was All Star by Smash Mouth. Oh, yeah, because people need the introduction. Listen, <laughs> just in case you're just hearing this song for the first time, you're welcome. Uh, this song was produced by Eric Valentine, who was at the time working with Good Charlotte, Queens of the Stone this. Age, Third Eye Blind. This was of a time. This was a 90s rock anthem. 
You might have heard this song in the likes of Inspector Gadget, Digimon the Movie, Rat Race. It received a Grammy nomination for Best Pop Performance at the 1999 Awards, but eventually lost out to Santana. What do you think, Dave? Smash Mouth? I think uh, Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 was the correct victor there. Also, I can't believe in your cinematic rundown you left out Shrek, which I have to think is the fucking signature. I think that I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop here. I'm still waiting for you to do that. Oh, of course, I'm just kidding. Is this actually your number one selection? Oh, my God. This was my number one most played song of last year. This is an incredible, incredible song. I should have seen this coming. I should have seen this coming because you have thrown up on your Instagram story every now and then. And I didn't even, I didn't even think I I'm shell shocked really. I mean, I don't hate smash mouth, but I'm not about to make it. But hang on, what, what am I saying? No, no, hang on. No, no. I, I have been completely broken by this experience. This is, I don't know what to say. I don't know. Craig, Craig, Craig I'm going to ring him. Will I ring him? I can't help you now. Well, I want, he went on through his phone. We've established this. So like, like, yeah, I, I guess I, 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 I've, I've made my bed here. Look, I, I put three lines in number one last week and people got very upset with me. So I, this is all I deserve. But hang on, maybe I'm being a bit too cruel here. You genuinely like this song. You think I it's a genuinely, genuinely good song. adore this song. Wow. Well, tell us about it, please. I, uh, what, what more can I tell you about it? I mean, this is... Well, this from the heart. Song like, like, ever, like, ever made i literally thought it would just be like five minutes of you laughing uncontrollably so i didn't even do any more research besides what i've what my, i've already given my you. blood is running cold over here i i feel like i need medical attention um but no like like I, i'm just i'm, I'm just I, i've never met someone who actually loves this song like unironically so like this is this is fascinating for me like, like like i'm trying to i'm trying to go into journalism mode here and just be like when did it first start for you and what does it mean to you what does it mean to you I think it might have started quite recently for me, which is sort of embarrassing, but I did find a video that's, from... Yeah, that's the embarrassing thing. <laughs> from a, a karaoke session that Pillow Queens did approximately four years ago in Brighton. And we were looking through a karaoke book for different songs that we would perform. We eventually chose When You're Looking Like That by Westlife, four-piece harmony. It was an incredible piece of art. Um, but this song was on in the background and there's a video of me rolling my eyes and I'm kind of like, what, Sarah, this is your favourite song ever. Why would you Why would you be rolling your eyes? So I think my love for this song must have started within the last four years. Okay. I mean, that's a presidential term. A lot can happen in that time. Um, so how do you feel then about like the reception it gets, the kicking it usually gets and that Smash Mouth are considered a joke band to people? This is considered a bit of a joke. Like, like do you get a bit sad every time that happens or do you just think it's par for the course? I mean, the joke's on them. If you think about how licensable that song is and how rich those people probably are, I mean, it's a, it's a banger and they're rolling in it. So fuck the haters. Wow. I just, would, would Pillow Queens do a gig with Smash Mouth is my last question. Uh, I would do. I was about a gig to say, with, with the rest of the band. <laughs> I don't think so. This was like when we were asked to support Crazy Town, and I could not convince the girls to do Hang it. Hang on, tell, please tell me that story. They're, like we were, they the promoter reached out and was like, "Crazy Town are coming to Dublin. They're playing in some some sad venue somewhere. They're probably going to you play Butterfly over and over again. Would you be interested in supporting?" And I kind of, you know preemptively said yes of course they're definitely not going to say no and then brought us the girls and they were like of course we're not going to play that gig sarah oh my god this is like i'm i'm on your side on that one for sure that would have been the most incredible maybe you could have played 
butterfly with them? Like, I mean, like, think of the possibilities here. Okay, um, you've you've shocked me. The world has, in fact, rolled me today. So I, I don't quite know what to do. But um, have you heard the uh, the thing where someone did a thing with this song where they like it's like Smash Mate, but everything is played at a different tempo? This is Alvaretti's favorite thing to do is to sing this version of it. It is. I can't get through the first 30 seconds of it. And I can feel, I can actually feel like um, the back of my ears now into my throat. Like, like there is, it feels like someone is pouring cold water down my body because like I, I get like that kind of weird, I don't know if it's motion sickness or something, but like I actually, the frequencies of it, I can't listen to it without feeling like I'm going to pass out or something. It's so, if anyone's wondering what this is, just go to YouTube and type in Smash Mouth All-Star, different tempos. And it is horrendous like woof oh god i got chills okay right um i'm gonna wrap up this top five with my number one which in comparison by the way like this number one jesus christ the most boring lad of all time over here with like the most predictable rock anthem uh adam please play the music is that the question Jam, it's alive. It's not Smash Mouth. It's not All Star. It's Pearl Jam. It's their debut single. A band that I was genuinely obsessed with as a teenager. I feel like I've kind of, you know, overdone it. I haven't listened to them properly for a long time. I think they have their place. I understand that some people think they're a bit cringe. I couldn't tell you a lot about the most recent output. But for a time, I thought they were like the fucking greatest thing I'd ever heard. Uh, although alive right here it wouldn't even be close it wouldn't even probably probably wouldn't even be in my top 20 pearl jam songs but i felt that for the uh for the parameters of the assignment you think 90s rock anthems you think that guy in the corner putting his coins into the jukebox you know it's going to come on you know you're going to roll your eyes and be like oh fuck really and then you know it gets into it you're three points in that guitar solo's going and you're like yeah fair enough it's so of its time so were they they're a band that did get out of the 90s, did actually do some good stuff beyond then, but I'll always associate them with the 90s, and I think Alive has to be the one to go. But look, listen, I'm barely getting the words out because I'm still recovering from Sarah's incredible number one. Sarah, I, I think it's fair to say that you've won the top five, so congratulations. Somebody once told me, no, oh, I'm God. sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but come here, are we in SingStar or what's the story? I feel like this song didn't exist for me outside of playstation 2 games this was on rock band and singstar yeah i mean like you talk about licensable i give you eddie vetter you know mm, I guess. um <laughs> no uh, but again like like this this is this is such a like lighter in the air anthem you know very of its time very of its time you know I'm, like i've never seen them live though which is kind of curious um i guess i should I, I should sign up by asking i know i asked would you play with them but did you see smash mate live has that happened I did not. No, I would love to. Um, okay, yeah. I, I played a gig with Wheatus once and it kind of feels like the same thing. I, I, they have a reputation early singers of being like, number one, big into Ireland and also very nice. Are they sound? Yeah, lovely. Um, I'm still in touch on Twitter with uh, one of their band members. We talk every so often. Um, yeah, they're a sound band. Um, they did. They they performed Teenage Dirtbag three times in the same set. Um, <laughs> a Green Day cover and a One Direction cover. Uh, it was great. It was what brilliant. a life. What a life. I mean, like, that's like, that's the dream, right? I guess, yeah. I mean, like, 
with an act like that and with the big hit and Smash Mouth as well, you got to play it at least more than once, right? But then does that not become like a horrible cycle of like, well, that's all they want to hear, so... Yeah, but if it's a banger like that, you wouldn't mind. That's fair enough. Okay, well, hopefully... we No, we've talked about my my hopeful impact on the next Pillow Queen's record. If there's a Smash Mouth cover, you can't blame me, but unlikely to happen by the sounds of things. But who knows? Sarah Corcoran, Pillow Queens, thank you so much for uh, guest co-hosting on this episode. I will make sure that... I'm I'm more prepared next time for for shocking moments that could come along and just completely um, terrify me. That was amazing. I, f- I I feel like I just like like found a higher consciousness or something. So uh, it, it, it was wonderful. Thank you. Listen, I live to shock. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan, as you know, and it's been a pleasure. Always welcome. Always always welcome. Craig's back next week, though. Don't know his Smash Mouth status. We'll try and find it out. This episode of No Encore was sonically architecturalized by the one, the only, no matter what decade it is, no matter what music is going, he is the one that we want. He is Adam Shanahan, and we love him so much. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to help support this show. Uh, Maybe get me some Valium after that incredible number one switcheroo. I still can't believe you really picked it, but my respect for you has only grown. Thank you so much, Sarah. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore, and we're back next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.